0: Good morning once again, family. Hope everyone's having a good Sunday morning so far. Thank you all for gathering with us to worship together. We are going to continue going through the book of Acts like we have uh, been going through since the beginning of uh, January. And so just a reminder that if you like to take notes or like are steadier, we have these uh, scriptural journals of the book of Acts back in the lobby that you can pick up. Um, $5 or if you don't have $5, you can just take one. We don't care. But uh, this is a great way we can all be together as we journey together through this book of the Bible uh, together. Did I say together enough? So, but let's uh, dive in to the Word uh, with a word of prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for this day when we can come together, know you through your Word, love each other as we gather, praise your holy name through song. In prayer, Lord, I pray for this time as we open up your word that we can see the truth of who you are and how you've moved through history, how you have developed and built this church, your church. I pray as we read in this passage in Acts chapter 8 that we can be encouraged and challenged to be part of your mission, to be part of how you grow your church and your kingdom. Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The reward for job well done is what? More work, right? Another job. Tommy's laughing because they just made a joke during the band rehearsal about if you do a good job leading, guess what? You're going to have to lead again. But that saying is a common saying. It actually becomes so common, in the, and people use it almost as a negative way of saying, hey, if you do good work, you're not going to get that much more recognition, but you will get more work to do. And we say that a lot in that kind of negative tone. It's one of the reasons that I always hated group projects. Because if you ever did a group project in school, there would be maybe one or maybe two, if you're lucky, in the group that actually would do all the work, and it was usually me, and everyone else would just kind of ride on their coattails because they knew, hey, this person cared about the grade more than they did. And if you, that was never your experience, that you never felt that way, chances are you're probably one of those guys who just riding on the coattails of <laughs> someone else. But we feel that way because we feel like, uh, like there's a sense of injustice that, man, I've done good work and I should get a reward that's beyond just good work. But why is that? Shouldn't we actually feel privileged that, hey, we're recognized for doing this as a good job, that we actually are given more responsibility. And maybe if we are doing something that we're passionate about, that moves us, that is important, that has lasting ramifications, we would feel better about giving more work to do. Well, I think that's what we see actually in this last part of Acts chapter 8 is Philip gets a reward for his good work. And it's another job. It's another task to do. Because what we see in Acts chapter 8 that we're going to read in a bit is Philip coming off a great ministry success experience, and he's rewarded by another task to do by God. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up to Acts chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 26. If you don't, don't worry. It'll be on the screen as we read this together. So this is Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. And just to set up the scene, remember this is right after Philip is down in Samaria and he's preaching the gospel and and people are coming to know Christ and it's growing. The apostles come down, they confirm this mission that's going on in Samaria and then all of a sudden it it breaks away from this great kind of ministry success that Philip was having and says this in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to a road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, like a lamb before its shearer is silent, he, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this his generation, for his life is taken away from the earth? And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And Philip found himself in Atus. and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Be led by God to lead people to God. That's how I would summarize what we learn from this passage, is that if we're led by God, we're going to be leading people to God. And actually to lead people to God, we ourselves have to be led by God. We see Philip throughout this whole passage being Uh, responding to being led by God. We see him being directed by God, him being obedient, and him being almost um, eager to comply and to follow through. And so he actually has this great opportunity where he can lead the Ethiopian to know who Jesus Christ is. Be led by God to lead people to God. This is really the theme, I would say, of this whole passage. But to understand what's going on here, we have to understand the players understand who we're talking about well we got philip and we we uh really got to know philip last week and we know that philip is one of those uh seven six why am i blanking on that number all right he's one of the proto-deacons that was selected and they laid hands on who uh who was uh helping serve the early church now he was now in Samaria because persecution had struck out against the early church. And so he had gone down to Samaria and he's in the city of Samaria and he's preaching the gospel and people are responding. The church was growing. The apostles came down and confirmed it and laid hands on people. And so you got this great ministry moving, movement happening. And so this actually becomes kind of what Philip is known for is spreading the gospel. So much so that the next time we see Philip in Acts 21, he's called Philip the evangelist is that he's known for sharing the faith with people. And so now we see this different movement where, the, where an angel directs him where to go. And it's to this other guy, this Ethiopian eunuch. This guy, we don't know his name, but we know where he came from and we know where, what he was and his status. That he is an Ethiopian, which is really at this time probably the upper Nile, Nile so kind of really a little south than what, what we think of. And so he had come to Jerusalem, maybe almost a thousand mile trip to worship. And so we see that he is at the very least a proselyte, meaning that he is someone who has converted to Judaism. He might have been um, ethnically Jew as well, but he has come now and he worships uh, God through Judaism and he is searching for God, so much so that he's taking this long journey, probably during the festival, to, to do that. We also see that he has wealth and position. He's a court official of the queen. He was the treasurer. He managed the whole, the, the treasury of the, of the queen of Ethiopian, Candace. And we see his wealth because he actually has a scroll from Isaiah, which, you know, it was not mass produced at this time, and so it was a costly thing to have. But he has the scroll that he's reading aloud from. We also see that he is a eunuch. He is a castrated man which was most of these court officials at this time in different kingdoms were such people. But this had ramifications because if you read Deuteronomy, a castrated man actually cannot worship in the assembly with the rest of God's people. And so you have to see that he's, he's searching God, but he might even still be excluded from Judaism, and he's still searching God, and he has these questions, and so he's reading the scroll, scroll trying to understand God's word. And so when we understand these players and how God brings together this divine appointment, we see how God is moving to use Philip to expand his kingdom. He's using Philip to continue the mission of God that people would know who Jesus Christ is and come to know him as their Lord and Savior. Be led by God to lead people For these players, God sets up a divine appointment, and we see that it is an angel-directed, spirit-prompted, word-based, gospel-centered, life-transforming encounter. It sounds fancy, maybe, but that's what the scripture leads us through, that when God makes a divine appointment, it's going to happen, and his mission is going to be carried out. So be led by God to lead people to God. So we first see that this is actually an angel-directed encounter. The passage starts off with with, uh, uh, the angel of the Lord talking to Philip and saying, hey, go to this certain road. Go to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. And then Luke puts a little comment, this is a desert place. There is no other reason Philip would be going on this road except for this appointment to meet this person. And so an angel-directed encounter, an angel of the Lord actually told him, an angel, and Philip was obedient and obeyed him. And so we can notice some things when we see this as a, an angel-directed encounter. That the first thing we notice is Philip. That after this great success in Samaria, after the gospel was being proclaimed and the church was growing, You can imagine he's probably feeling pretty great and probably wants to stay there and see this kind of flourish and and grow more. But yet the angel says, hey, leave that and go here. And so we see Philip actually being obedient to this. I have to imagine, maybe I'm putting myself in Philip's shoes, but I have to imagine he's probably a little like, yeah, but look at this. Yeah, Lord, that's great. I can go there, but look at what's happening. Look what you're doing. I want to be involved in this. But yet he's obedient, and he goes where the angel directed him. But we also know something about God, I think, in this passage, in this fact that the angel directs him away from Samaria to this desert road. So often we put our own evaluation, our own prerogatives on the ministry of God. And so we look around and we say, the big success of what, how the world defines it, that's where God is moving. The big ministries, the, the multi-site campuses, the, the huge churches, that's where God is moving. The crowds is where God is moving. And it's true, God uses all of those things. But it's also true that God uses the individual encounters for his glory. That God uses the small ministry, and he might even call someone away from a resounding success like the world defines, and say, no, go here to this small encounter, because I command it it changes lives so we notice god has a heart not just for the crowds but god has a heart for the individual as well and that he established these divine encounters to further his ministry as he sees fit we also notice in this this is the uniqueness of this direction an angel of the lord came and told philip go here while I do not doubt that God has the ability to send an angel and tell you where to go, that is not his standard operating procedure with us nowadays. Unless you can tell me different. That we, re- we don't receive an angel of the Lord saying, hey, go here and you'll encounter this or go here for God's purposes. No, but guess what? We might crave that. We might want it. I mean, it seems so much simpler come on, God, just send an angel and tell me where to go. But we don't need that. For we already have the word of God for us right here that we can read, and we can read the commands to go to all nations, which I think includes a small little strip on a road from Jerusalem to Gaza. That we already have this command to go and to uh, shared the word of God and proclaim the gospel to people, that we don't actually need an angel. In fact, I would argue that even if an angel showed up, we probably still question, yeah, but that does not really fit into my plans. I'm willing to bet, I say that because I'm willing to bet that we all do that with the scriptures, the very word of God himself, when you read reading and say, man, I need to do that. And we go, ah, uh, yeah, but it doesn't really fit into my plans say that because i do that all the time we see the uniqueness here that we pray for but we already have god directing us in the ways we should go we already have god telling us what his mission is and how we're included in his mission we already have commands from jesus to go and make disciples all nations and that he's going to use us to grow his church that we already have divine appointments set up for us every single day. That we just need to have open our eyes to the reality of them. And be led by God to use those to glorify God. Be led by God to lead people to God. The second act of this mission, this encounter we see is that it's spirit prompted. That an angel told him to go. And once he's there, the Holy Spirit spoke to Philip and said, go to that church chariot again there's a uniqueness here that philip actually speaks to the holy spirit he hears an audible voice apparently from the holy spirit saying go to that chariot and we might crave for that to happen and there's a huge debate within the christian church whether we should expect that to happen and i could tell you right now that we all actually have the holy spirit speaking to us every single day first and foremost we have the holy spirit speaking to us through the word of Jesus Christ. That when we read this, when we know this, when it's saturated into our hearts, the Holy Spirit uses that to direct us and guide us and teach us and grow us and send us. And that we actually don't need the audible, audible voice because the Holy Spirit's already teaching us what we need through the word of God. This is why Jesus says in John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all that I have said to you. That the Holy Spirit leads us through the word. That we know and can listen to him through the word of God. Now there's that second more subjective way I believe the Holy Spirit guides us. And that's when he uses our conscience and he uses what we know we should do to follow God and he and he prompts us to do what we should do and live how he has called us to do. And it's really subjective because sometimes we question it, sometimes we might fight against it, but when we test it against the word, we see, no, I'm supposed to follow this. And so when you ever have felt that leaning, man, I should talk to that person, they look like they're in need, I can serve them. I would argue that's the spirit using our conscience and what we know to be true to push us towards action. But this thing is, The thing is, when he uses that more subjective means, it's always going to be word-conformed. It's always going to be based on what the word tells us to do. It's always going to be God-glorifying. It's always, I would argue, even going to be other-centered, where we're looking and serving others and proclaiming the glory of Christ. That if anyone ever tells you that they feel led by the Spirit to do something that's obviously against the word of God, or really seems really selfish, or really seems something that is not giving glory to God, I would say, whoa, you better check yourself. Because that's not the Holy Spirit that's leading you. That's just yourself trying to justify what you want to do. But we have that. We have the Spirit working at us and dwelling us, giving us power to actually follow Christ and live for Christ. Now we just need to train ourselves to hear him. Again, how do we train ourselves to hear the Holy Spirit Direct us. I'm going to sound like I'm repeating myself. We know the word of God. That we know we train our conscience, we train our thoughts, we train how we live based on the word of God. And so when the Spirit says, Do this, we're like, Yes, I know I'm called to do that. And so I go gladly to serve these people, to love these people, to glorify God, be led by God to lead people to God. We have this encounter between Philip and the Ethiopian, and we see that it is angel-directed, spirit-prompted, but also we see it's word-based. Philip goes to that chariot, and he hears the Ethiopian actually reading aloud from the book of Isaiah. It's a common practice then that when you read Scripture, you would read it aloud, and so the Ethiopian was sitting in his chariot. He's reading Isaiah, which gives a clear opportunity for Philip to say, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian is like, man, how can I do this? How can I understand if I don't have a guy? Who, who, is, who is Isaiah talking about in this passage? And so it, and it has an opportunity for Philip to now engage in this person's life and show him from Scripture who Christ is. This has to be a divine appointment. Because this Ethiopian was riding on this chariot and he's reading from Isaiah 53. If there's any... Good text to preach Christ from the Old Testament. is Isaiah 53 that talks about the suffering servant who would endure all these things. You read Isaiah 53 and you cannot help but say, this is Christ. 700 years before he was even born, this is Isaiah talking about our Savior and how he would save us. And this Ethiopian eunuch happened to be reading this text and we can see some things about this. That God uses the word in great ways. And we can see the power of God's word in people's lives. We see that God used this text and probably so many more. As this Ethiopian was searching for God, coming to know him through Judaism, he's searching for him and God was using the Bible, his word, to prepare him to know who Christ was. That's the power of the word that that the Spirit uses in these great ways. God uses uses it in these great ways to prepare us, to grow us, to prepare the soil for his people to now hear about who Christ is. We also see the centrality of who Jesus is because Philip takes this verse and shows how it points to Christ. And you can literally take any of the Bible and show how it points to, to Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the whole Old Testament. He, the Bible either throws close to him or flows out of him. And so the, Christ is the center of this. And so now Philip steps up to the plate and he says, hey, this guy has a question. I can answer it. Because Christ makes sense of the whole Bible. So he does. He shows how Christ fulfills this passage as well as so many others but I think this raises a question for us as we read this maybe a challenge for us can I can you do the same if someone is reading the word and someone is questioning what does this say and you happen upon them in an encounter and they ask you who is this text talking about could you do the same. Now, I'm not talking about you have to go into the semantics and the history of any kind of passage or have a, a theological education of, uh, of someone in, in scholarship or anything like that. I'm not saying you have to be a walking commentary of the Scriptures. But can you look at the Bible and help someone understand how Christ makes sense of it all? Do you have the ability to actually know the Word enough that you can engage in someone who has questions and says, hey, I can help you see where this points, and it be used by God in those encounters. We see Philip here, he was not trained in any fancy school, he did not have a degree hanging on his wall, but he sat at the feet of the apostles, and I bet he ate up everything they taught. That when he had a chance, he would dive in and see how they dove in into what we call the Old Testament and see how it all pointed to Christ. And he was built up by the, early church, by the early church so much so that when they looked for people who are spirit-filled, who follow God, who glorify him, they saw him and said, now we're going to put him in a place of service. And that he had, he had been willing to be led by godly men and led by God to, be, to serve God. And that we need to have that same mentality that we look for, for that teaching, that we, we willingly put ourselves under teaching that grows us and prepares us, that we seek to be equipped so that we can be used by God even in encounters such as this when someone asks us what does this mean? That we can be able to help people understand the word of God and let the word of God do the heavy lifting as the spirit applies it to people's lives and changes them. We need to be led by God in our pursuit of knowledge, and we need to be led by God to lead people to God. So this was not just an angel directed or spirit prompted or word based encounter. This also was a gospel centered encounter. Now, Philip takes Isaiah fifty three, and he shows how that points to Christ. There's a text that says beginning with this scripture, Philip showed proclaimed or preached the good news of Jesus Christ. So he always started with that scripture. So he probably brought all of of what he knew about who Jesus is and showed how not only that, but everything else points to Christ. That he was gospel-centered. That he knew the whole point of this encounter was to show this Ethiopian who Jesus Christ was. It wasn't to show him the, you know, just Isaiah 53 and how cool it was or, or some intellectual knowledge. It was, no, look to Christ. Know who he is. It was a gospel-centered encounter. He was pointing to the truth of Jesus. And the same is true for us. That we have one job. The church has one job. And that's to point To Jesus now when we see people who are lost we point them to Jesus when we see people in need we point them to Jesus yes there's a lot of implications that come from there we serve them we love them we provide for them we do all that but the main job that all these other things come under is pointing people to Christ that is what the church exists for We praise God's name as a holy community because he puts us here as an outpost of heaven. We are in enemy territory. We're given a job to proclaim Christ. We're supposed to expand his kingdom. He empowers it. He directs it. He gives us everything we need. And now he says, go and proclaim Christ. You see someone in need, you give them what they need. And at its core is Jesus Christ. In the process, you might serve them. In the process, you might help them. In the process, you might give them food and shelter and all these good things, but you preach Christ. That is the job of the church. That is the job of every Christian. And we see this, that God gives us those encounters where we can preach Christ. And that's how we're wired. All humans are naturally preachers. Doesn't mean you're going to be standing in front of a crowd. You might be terrified about public speaking, but all humans are naturally wired to preach about what they find passion in. You get a Ford guy and a Chevy guy, they're going to preach against each other about which truck is the best. You get two opposing teams together, and they're fans, they're going to preach about how their team has the best legacy, or who is the GOAT, the true GOAT of all time. People will preach about what they're passionate about. They'll preach about what, has truly, what they have truly latched onto. Now I'm not saying you can't preach about those things. If you're passionate about those things, go for it, and all the more. But fundamentally, at our core, as Christians, what should we be most passionate about The one who has pulled us from death to life. The one who came in and and helped us escape and and pulled us away from the kingdom of darkness into his glorious light. The one that took sinners and made them saints. The one who took orphans and brought them into a family. The one who took the lost and gave them meaning. That is what we should be most passionate about. So we should be trained to preach and, and be willing to preach and lift up the the truthfulness of who Jesus is, that we preach Christ and him crucified to everyone who would have ears to hear, be led by God to lead people to God. And this all leads to this angel direction, spirit-prompted, word-based, gospel-centered, and it leads all to this life-transforming encounter. The Ethiopian hears Philip is committed and most and commits about who jesus is and most likely in in the talk that phil talked about he talked about the need for for baptism and the need for belief and so it, he, he's changed and so driving along and he sees a river he sees a stream probably and says hey what prevents me from being baptized this is presuming that he believes. He's, he says, I believe this. You explained who Jesus is. I see him the fulfillment of Isaiah. I see that he is a promised child. I see that this is the, the Messiah we've been waiting for. And he came and to us. What prevents me from being baptized? So Philip baptized the Ethiopian. And we see how this Ethiopian's life has was, is changed. For even though Philip is now taken away by the spirit this Ethiopian gets out of the water gets back in his chair is headed home and he goes home rejoicing God because now he's been changed forever now he's going back home and you know he's going back home to preach the truth of who Jesus is to anyone who will be listening he goes home a changed man that's the goal of this whole encounter is that life transformation. That God would grab this man's heart and change it. That that God would show this man he was a sinner in need of salvation. That God would take this Ethiopian who was lost in his sins and his transgressions, who on his own was headed towards death, who was separated from God even though he was searching blindly for God. He was Without Christ, he was headed there. But then God would take him through the gospel of Jesus Christ and show him how he's now alive in Jesus how he has purpose in Jesus and now how he could serve Jesus and how he could be Jesus' brother and God's son all through this glorious gospel, the good news of Christ. That was the goal of the whole encounter. And that's the goal of our encounters we have with people who do not know Jesus Christ. It's how God uses us. It's little ways and big ways. And sometimes we're just you know, planting the seed and sometimes we're coming back and, and correcting what people maybe think they know about Christianity or we're being used by God in these different ways to hopefully present the gospel in a way that they can respond to it and their life can be transformed. Which means that we need to be looking out for these opportunities. And so often that I speak, I speak to myself because I'm naturally introverted. I naturally just want to get home. I naturally just want to read a good book. But we walk through life and we put these blinders on and we don't look at other people. We don't want to talk to other people. We go through the supermarket. We go, we're staying at the gas pumps. We're doing all these things with these blinders on and we don't take the time actually to look people in the eye and see them as people who are lost and need salvation. We don't take the time to know them or ask questions that could could spur these divine appointments up where we can be used by God in ways that we don't even fathom. And so we need to take the time to actually walk through life and see this is the whole purpose of why we're here. It's not to earn money. It's not to rush to the next task. It's to be used by God to look around and know people so that you can proclaim the truth. And the love, and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Which means maybe we should slow down, smile a little bit more, speak to myself, be approachable and seek to approach people to be used by God in this. If we truly believe this is why we exist, this is why the church exists, this is why Christians are here to preach Christ, We know that we're on mission and we should look around and look for those opportunities. This also means if life transformation is the goal, if that's what we're seeking, a changed life, a a heart that's stoned to be replaced by a heart that's living now, that lives for God, if that's the goal, that's what we focus on, and we quit looking at the outward manifestations of people's lives and thinking that's the end-all be-all. I say this because we live in the Bible Belt. We're aware of that. And so often we can focus on the do not do this or do these things or look this way or act this way that we focus on these externals that are going to be addressed eventually. And we forget that the first thing that matters is someone coming to know who Christ is. And that if that's the goal, then maybe we can ignore all these things we think they shouldn't do as a Christian and go towards the heart and say, do they know Christ? jesus if they don't know jesus guess what they're not going to act like they know jesus and so we hopefully can be used by god to show them who christ is and hopefully they can respond to him and then all those other issues can be dealt with as they can as they grow in their faith of who christ is our aim is to have sinners be confronted with their lord and savior and changed from the inside out This is a call that all Christians have is to show people who Christ is and we are led by God and we'll, we'll be led by God to lead people to God is that when we submit and, and, and follow his word and follow what he directs us to do, he puts those opportunities in our life and we're on mission for God. Be led by God to lead people to God. We've applied that message, what we see at Philip in Philip and the Ethiopians as we've gone but just to summarize these three big points of how I think we could respond to this is one is that we need to be in touch with God. We need to be in touch with the Spirit that we can actually listen to him. Why did Philip respond and obey? Why was he so readily uh, uh, ready to respond to what the angel said and the Spirit said and what the Word says? Is because he was trained and connected to God and he was walking in the ways he should walk. And so we need to be in touch with God. We need to know our word and we need to have it implanted in us and, and growing in us and walking and living out the ways of God so that we're ready and ready to be obedient, ready to respond to what he calls us to do. We also need, that means we need to know the word. And this, that in this example, we see Philip being able to expound upon the word of God. And I think we need to look at that and say, and let it challenge us and say, do we know the word? And when the Spirit is is working in us, does He have the material to work with to bring to our minds the truth of who Jesus is through the Word, that we can actually lead people to know who Christ is through God's Word, the Bible, in us, to engage people in the truth of who God is. This also means that we need to see the opportunities in front of us to serve and love people for the glory of God. We need to see people as people who need to know Christ or need to grow in Christ or need to be encouraged if they're down. We need to see people as people, humanity designed in the image of God, in his image, and so have, uh, they have dignity, they have worth, they have value, and we need to see them as that and take the opportunity to be used by God in his mission to expand his kingdom, be led by God to lead people to God. The amazing thing is that we worship a perfect and holy God who has a mission to bring his people back home, and he chooses to use us. I don't understand God so often, but at that, when he chooses to use these weak members, I'm talking about myself, to further his mission, I'm flabbergasted. I'm blown away. That he not only does he love us and include us in his family, not only has he saved us, not has he done everything needed for our salvation, not only does he promise us a future and he's going to carry us through, but now he includes us in his mission. He gives us purpose. He gives us meaning and we're actually included and he uses us to further his kingdom and expand his church. How truly amazing is that? And it reminds us again and again, it's not us. It's him working through us. That we make ourselves available to see those divine appointments and let God use us for his glory. Be led by God to lead people to God. Join me in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for your word that we can read